Hey, what up, Long Beach? We're wrapping up a wild year here on the only podcast about everything Long Beach State Athletics. As always, the LB Fee Show is hosted by the562.org, which is myself, JJ Fiddler. And I'm Mike Gardabasio. Uh, very excited to take a look back at a year that we cannot wait to say goodbye to. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, we'll be breaking some news about the Dirtbags program uh, a little bit later in this podcast. Uh, but before we start talking about the year in review, we've got to bring on the man of the hour. That's Andy Fee, Long Beach State Athletic Director. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks, gentlemen. Always uh, a pleasure to be with you. And as you said, uh, looking back and looking forward at the same time. Really looking forward to looking forward. <laughs> yeah, th this time last year, we really were just uh, throwing around questions with no answers. You know what I mean? We, we didn't know what was going to happen. And it's been a long year, a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations, a lot of success also at Long Beach State, despite everything. So we might as well start in the beginning. Last year, in about October, we didn't know how the men's and women's basketball teams were going to be able to get back on the court together and kind of plow the road for the other programs on campus to also be able to get back on the courts and the fields together. So Andy, let's start with men's basketball. I mean, you went as far as taking the men's basketball team out of Los Angeles County and taking them to Seal Beach in Orange County so that they would be able to practice together. That's kind of the level of frustration you guys were dealing with last year. Just take us through how much work it was to actually get those guys and gals back together on the court. Yeah, it I'm, I'm it's hurting my head thinking about that question um but a huge huge challenge as you said a year ago we didn't know what was up and what was down we made plans and we would you know 48 hours later learn well can't do that that doesn't work this changed so we went through so many iterations of plans and protocols and then got to, to basketball season, as you just, as you mentioned, and typically we would start October 1st. That, that would be the, the, basically the first day of practice. We didn't get started till October 15th. And then even October 15th, we were not in the pyramid. We were out on the tennis courts on campus with a makeshift court, outdoor court with guys slipping, sliding around and the women doing the same thing, you know, early in the morning with the dew on the, on the court, it was, it was, <laughs> I don't even know the, the right adjective to, to use at this point, but it really, it was almost unbelievable. We, we didn't get into the pyramid until I think November 17th. We went to a facility across the, the county, county line into Seal Beach in order to get some indoor practices in. And I, I can't even, I would never have thought that I would be saying the words that I'm saying now. Um, those challenges, those obstacles were never thought of, I don't think by anybody really, um, outside of a planned project that you would be doing in your, your basketball facility. But, um, you know, that creates a lot of, lot of challenges moving forward. You know, the amount of training we had no access to locker rooms. We had no training or no access to the strength and conditioning facilities for weight training. So these aren't meant to be excuses, but the number of challenges creating an imperfect scenario were there. Now, our coaches and athletes didn't complain. Um, they worked really hard, but 
we didn't know some days whether we would be practicing or not. Start, stop, uh, pauses. I mean, we had it all last year. And, um, I, you know, again, I, I, I know the basketball coaches and athletes are all looking forward to a, to a new season. That's for sure. Yeah, just despite all those struggles, the women's basketball team got off to a great start, a historic start, their best start in a, almost a decade, and they looked great doing it. You know what I mean? The type of basketball we love to watch, the type of basketball Long Beach is uh, so famous for, great defense, and then defense leading to offense with some fantastic guard play. Uh, you know, beyond the basketball, being able to watch Long Beach State compete and win and play well, I think we got the first taste of that with women's basketball in the beginning of that Big West Conference when they went on that run. And it was enjoyable, Andy, even though it was a little bit weird to be covering a game in the Walter Pyramid with no fans. Yeah, that that's still, to me, even to this day with limited fans at softball and Blair, it still is weird. I mean, I was at, you know, the Davis Series of baseball this weekend, and it's still weird I sat there, you know, and I would hear some, you know, cheering and claps and I'm like, we need, it needs to be louder. You know, we, we were down four runs. We come back, like it should be way louder. And, hey, and we're, we're not, we're not Hawaii, Andy. We don't pump in artificial crowd noise. Okay. That's correct. That's correct. I, I, will, I will say that the difference between no crowd and limited crowd is much bigger than the difference between limited crowd and full crowd. The, those first couple of weeks in the pyramid, I was so excited because they were, it was, they were my first games, you know, in, in so long. Um, but I was, you know, you guys started putting the fan cutouts up. I would take selfies with, you know, Dan Gooch or <laughs> Bruce McCray or whoever at Texan Pictures just because, you know, especially at, at, a, at a true community school like Long Beach State, I think the game experience is so much about running into all the people that you know who you've been seeing at those games for 10 or 15 years. Uh, that it, it was really it was the first time you heard that ball dribble and it just echoed like that's a big building to not have any fans in it so very very happy is that the transition has begun to be made to more and more and more people you know able to attend and even if they're not as loud as they should be which I agree with Andy <laughs> yeah it's it's different outside and inside too the the inside no fans is is cavernous almost well the outside looks just like a you know a poorly attended picnic, but hopefully all of that <laughs> is behind us. Obviously we hope that we never have to get back there, but the men's volleyball team also had to deal with stuff like that. Uh, you know, limited fans, fan noise being, being pumped into the, uh, to the arena, all that different stuff. Speaking of a program with a bright future, I think men's volleyball would have to be towards the top of the list. If not the top of the list for teams on campus that we cannot wait to see back into a regular season coming up this year. Yeah, I mean, conference freshman of the year uh, in Clark, um, a lot of new faces. And I know the incoming class that they have coming in, they're very excited about. And I know they're already talking about the, the 22 class and, and finishing that off. I think they've gotten a verbal from one of the best players in the country, if not the top player in the country. So, you know, the success of men's volleyball, I think, only continues. And we look forward to, uh, to seeing what they can do, given a full year of training. Again, they were a team that um, could not train in the fall, had, you know, a late start in the spring, no, con you know, zero non-conference matches. 
So what they did is pretty amazing and, and pretty darn close to, to making a run there in, in the tournament. But, you know, I think just kind of ran out of gas there at the end. Yeah, I think, you know, injuries piled up, which I think, yeah, I mean, we've, we've discussed it. Like, it's, that's what was going to happen this year, given the sort of start that a lot of teams had. Um, you know, they've got guys who are, you know, battling through some stuff in the offseason to hopefully be healthy for next year. But, you know, that, that team won, <laughs> you know, two national championships. Hawaii won one, and they're graduating everyone. Uh, I, which, you know, some of those guys are, had really – at Hawaii made a commitment, you know, to come back and win that, you know, you have guys that turned up a couple years of pro ball um, to, to come back, but next year it's, it's pretty wide open and Long Beach state's got, you know, those freshmen were the best recruiting class in the country, uh, which is always a nice thing to get to write about Long Beach state. And as you mentioned, this next class coming in is really good too. So I'm very, very excited for that team. I know I've talked to Alan a couple of times in the off season. He's so happy to be, out on the other end of, you know, all the frustrations of when do we start? When do we start? When do we start? Hey, this team we're playing started a month ago. Hey, this team. <laughs> um, so they, for sure. I mean, that is just one of those programs that's perennially a national championship contender at this point. And, and I, I'll probably, I might drive to Santa Barbara in the fall for some fall league stuff, Andy. I mean, I, I just, I can't wait to see them under normal circumstances. Exactly. Agreed. Incredible to say this, considering they uh, brought the sport into the conference just a few years ago, but is men's volleyball the best sport in the Big West? There's no competition. There's I mean, no, I mean <laughs> you have the last three national championships. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, no, no, no competition. Pretty crazy to say that. So speaking of volleyball, beach volleyball also got back uh, onto the sand this year and impressively was able to host the Big West championships at Granada Beach, Rosie's Dog Beach for those of you who use it for other reasons. Congratulations, Andy. The fact that Long Beach State and you and everybody over there had to go through the, the hoops that were lit on fire to get things back going after COVID, you were still able to host events in Long Beach. Tip of the cap. Yeah, I, it, you know, at one point, if you had told me we were going to host, you know, beach volleyball conference championship and we were going to have fans at games and we were going to play games, I, I would have probably smiled and told you, oh, of course we are. But in the back of my head going, I'm not so sure. Uh, so extremely, extremely thankful for our staff, coaches, student athletes, being able to work ultimately with the city to get to a point where we could host an event like that. I mean, hosting championships is a big deal. Um, certainly we would have uh, obviously preferred to have won the championship, but you know, the team played really great. Um, you know, they lost to the eventual champions. It was, it was close. So, you know, and even just gathering again, just being able, you know, it's an outdoor event, obviously, but, you know, I think we had over 200 people kind of watching, um, you know, the event at, at, at kind of the, the, the zenith point of, of the tournament. And we look forward to, to hosting more events in the future, but that was a real, um, no pun intended, shot in the arm, I think, for everybody to be able to, you know, whether you're a real beach volleyball fan or not, but to go cheer on, um, you know, one of our teams, that felt really, really, really good. That's for sure. Yeah, it was a, it was a great scene down there, too. So many different uh, colors. You know what I mean? We, we can't have the 
groups of teams competing together in everything in high school. There's it's two teams and that's it. So to see a group of people from different places coming together was also really cool. Uh, moving it turns on. you into a four-year-old. If I could, you're just like, oh, blue and red and green, <laughs> yellow, all together. <laughs> God bless the meat sports. Um, so moving on to uh, women's water polo. You know, a lot of the teams at Long Beach State had to struggle with replacing players who left or, you know, all the rosters were messed up because of, a, of, a, of eligibility based on, you know, when you came to school, when you wanted to leave, all that stuff. I mean, everybody had to deal with that. But women's water polo especially had to replace a lot of missing players this year, and they still got into the tournament for the Big West and still got a win in there. So big shouts to Coach Shana Welch and everybody over there to, uh, to put together a season worthy of going through everything that it took to put together that season. Yeah, I think we were at maybe 20 players on the roster that were active, and that's pretty low for a water polo program. You're probably in a healthy world, probably more in that 24 to 28 would be maybe an ideal number. Um, and we were at 20. So I think, you know, it was touch and go for a while just to have enough players on the roster for practices, not just playing but to actually practice during the week. Um, so I, you know, a tip of the cap to, to, to Shana and, and our student athletes who, you know, again, um, you know, played their heart out. Um, you know, I sound like I'm making a lot of excuses with, with no access to the training facilities, but that stuff matters. And in a long year, in a sport that is brutal, uh, you know, whether some fans know this or not, and I had to learn that water polo is one of the toughest sports to play, the most physical sports to play. And it's tough to be ready for a full year if you can't get your body conditioned. So, um, you know, they overcame a lot. And as you said, got a great win in the Big West tournament. Yeah, great win in the Big West tournament. Uh, a lot of good stuff coming from that program. Andy, are you at all concerned with bringing, you know, these programs back to quote unquote normalcy? Uh, with too many players you know what I mean is there a concern that the rosters are going to be too large next year and is there anything you guys are doing to kind of quell that yeah it's something new really I mean you know a lot of coaches always want a lot of players on a roster but to actually have it in front of you being real uh, meaning that because of the uh, you know the COVID years as I call them uh, players coming back, it, it, it does make the rosters larger, which does create challenges. Um, you know, how do you manage a roster? You know, let's say Mauricio had, you know, 38 players on a roster. I mean, how do you manage playing time? How do you manage practices? You know, it sounds great to have a big roster, but, you know, there's the nuts and bolts of, of running your practices, etc. So I think it's something that we're aware of. Uh, we've worked with our student athletes, you know, some of them are ready to move on, you know, they're graduated, they want to get a head start on their careers, you know, I think some of them know that they're, they're not going to be professional athletes, they're going to be professionals in something else. So, um, but I do think probably last year, this year, and the year beyond, you will have an average size larger um, than we saw pre COVID. So I know coaches are thinking about that, because again, you have to manage that roster, who coaches them, who's working with them. And you have limited numbers in terms of coaching uh, spots per the NCAA. So it's not like you can just hire as many coaches as you want and, and run away and do all the things you'd like to do in, in maybe a perfect world. 
Well, speaking of success through all the challenges, we have to shout out the golf program, starting with men's golf, winning their first conference title since 2004. That's back when uh, Mike and I were in college. Pretty crazy. So obviously- hundred years ago. With, uh, <laughs> first with, title in a hundred years. With golf uh, coming back, we, we had predicted it about this time last year that golf would be the first one to come back because of the inherent social distancing in the sport. And you can get back out there and all that stuff. But I don't think we predicted that uh, local boy Hunter Epson was going to be the golfer of the year, uh, the, that they would be able to win that Big West title, like I said, for the first time in a long time, uh, and have that type of success that I think you were hoping for uh, when you changed that program by hiring a new coach. It was an exciting year, um, challenging again, but I felt men's golf was poised last year when they were shut down in the golf rankings, they were in the high twenties, maybe thirties nationally. That's a big deal. And, you know, you consider all day long as the athletic director and say, well, I think they would have, but last year's team was really talented as well. So to see the, the seniors come back, the hunters come back and make an impact winning for the first time, as you said, since 2004 is a big deal. And we have some really talented players, some, some, some freshmen that didn't really play a lot this year because of those seniors that are really good. So I know that Coach Wilson's very excited about the future. Um, I think they'll be competing for a Big West championship again. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that somehow if we get the silver medal in the conference tournament that we'll get an at-large berth. We have that kind of talent on that team which is what we were building for. And when we, we hired Coach Wilson in uh, the summer of 2017, this is what we wanted. This is where we wanted to be. And I am thrilled for the success those seniors had, especially for Hunter Epson, who um, you know transferred, came from Pepperdine, local guy. And for him to have the success at you know the local school means even more, I think. And you know, we wish all those seniors the best. Yes. Speaking of hiring a coach, that's going to be your next hire. Probably is going to be women's golf. Are you looking right now? What are you looking for? How's that going so far? Yes. Yeah, so we're in the process of just beginning that search. Um, you know, we're, we're getting applications. The pool is being created. We have high expectations. We've had success with the program um, before on, on the course. So we want to continue to be successful. We want to develop players. Um, I'm really excited. Again, it's a program that, that, that has all in the big West. It's a sport that we can win at. And one that I want to win at, I look at ultimately, I want to win commissioner cups. You know, that's the overall uh, way to figure out, you know, your health of your department. We haven't finished where we've wanted to in the past couple of years. And, you know, some of that is related, sometimes cyclical. You have, you know, teams that they go through changes in, in, in a roster, meaning sometimes you have more uh, of a veteran team and younger teams. But, you know, I think next year we'll be in the mix for a Commissioner's Cup championship. That's my goal. And, you know, women's golf should be right there. And I think we're going to get great candidates. This is a place people want to come coach. People want to live here and we have high expectations. What, what the men just did uh, and the women did previously, we should be doing that every year in terms of the, of both golf programs. So it'll be a key hire to make sure that we continue uh, to compete at that level and develop people on the course and off the course. 
Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Holland Shorts for winning her individual title as well. So team titles, individual titles, good stuff on the golf course. We mentioned it at the top of the show. We've got some breaking news. But first of all, we have to talk about the Dirtbags finishing strong this year. They tried to make it real difficult on that NCAA selection committee, winning their last six games and winning 15 of their last 17 games, but left out. They were a bubble team and they'll, their bubble was popped, left out of that NCAA regional draw on Monday. But again, Shout out to Eric Valenzuela, his coaching staff, everybody out there for struggling through everything, still getting back on the field and being successful. They dropped one series this year, guys, one series. And it was the first one at Hawaii against a pretty good pitching staff weeks, weeks after they started practicing the last NCAA baseball team to get on the field together. And you're looking at that and you're like, okay, that's pretty impressive. Consider this. There's 64 teams in the tournament, right? Long Beach State Dirtbags are top 64 in shutouts, team ERA, runs, hits allowed per nine, fielding percentage, strikeouts per nine, batting average, slugging percentage. They are top 64 in all of those stats. That's pretty impressive. And it's very disappointing to see a stat like that, see guys like Calvin Estrada come back for his senior year and absolutely mash, specifically in the last weekend. He hit his 10th homer of the year on Sunday. That means he is reaching double digits for the first time since 2008. Nobody wearing a dirtbag uniform has hit double-digit home runs since 08. So he went 9 for 17 on the weekend, and that got him named Big West Conference Player of the Week. Not the only guy who was Player of the Week. You think about a guy like Jonathan Lavallee, who worked his way into the Friday night starting role and then dominated down the stretch. So great stuff from the Dirtbags, but so disappointing to have what I would consider have their season cut short because they deserve to still be playing. Don't you think, Andy? Yeah, I, I – pretty pretty outspoken on social media about what i believe and i am biased i admit it but as you but but I, as, as you should be because you, you've got to be the advocate out there we know that you know mid-majors and west coast schools need that so good for you yeah and statistically you just rattled them off we are one of the hottest teams in the country coming to the end of the year statistically the numbers are unreal what 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 Eric Valenzuela did with the pitching staff to me is is unbelievable. Considering the amount of time he had to work with them, we literally didn't start practicing till February 16th. Typically, we would have a fall season. We'd even have fall games. You know, we we're at Hawaii, so you get the advantage of additional games that you could have played during the fall. And to now fast forward to start a season where some of those guys had never stepped foot in Blair until, you know, the middle of February is it's, it's tough to really think about the level of success. And I know we all want more success, but to win 28 games, to have zero preparation. And that's where one of the things I loved about when I, when I hired Eric Valenzuela is the level of detail and preparation that he focuses on with his teams Fall is where he says he wins games that when they step onto the field in the spring, they are the most prepared team in the country. So looking ahead, very excited. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're the roster who we have coming back, who we have coming in, you know, tip of the cap again to those seniors um, for leading the program this year and, and wishing them the best. But 
there is an extremely bright future ahead for the dirt bags and and I, we are all we are all invested into making um, that reality and and I, I couldn't feel better about where we are. Well, you could feel better, Andy. You got some breaking news about where they're playing and how it's going to look a little bit different in the future. Yeah, so some exciting news and um, you know, we're going to put some information out on, on the web with press release. But Bull Diamond at Blair Field is going to see some significant um, project work out there this summer and beyond. So we are very thankful for Marilyn Bull and her continual support of the Dirtbag Baseball Program. Uh, Marilyn is going to speed up some of her giving uh, for the dirt bags, and she is going to help us get brand new LED lights at, uh, at Bull Diamond. That, um, you know, last time we hosted a regional, we had to bring in auxiliary lights to, to meet those minimum qualifications for the NCAA. So again, we want to host NCAA regionals and super regionals. So that's an exciting piece of the puzzle. That, that work will begin literally as we speak. Uh, with a project completing those lights uh, for the first weekend of, uh, I think it's February 22nd, somewhere around then of 2022 with new lights. Uh, phase two of, of the work out there, we're going to do again that four to six million dollars worth of work is in brand new video board, a huge, we're looking to, if, if Andy gets his way, to have the biggest video board on the West Coast. Um, Again, uh, we're trying to figure out if we could get that done prior to 2022 kicking off. We're not sure. We're trying to figure that out. So if we can, we're going to shoehorn that sucker in as quick as we can. If not, that would commence um, after the 2022 season completes. And then down the left field line, everybody who's been out to, to Bull Diamond before, um, there's an auxiliary building down the left field line that we're going to renovate and turn into a player development facility for the dirt bags. So three key pieces when we talk about recruiting and bringing the best, developing the best, and we're not going to stop there, but those are the first three pieces of the puzzle over the next 12 to 18 months that we're going to get done. And uh, we could not do it without uh, Marilyn Bowl and the university. Uh, President Conley is stepping in and uh, matching dollar for dollar. I guess either way you look at it, whether it's Marilyn or, or President Conley matching each other dollar for dollar to get up to that $4 million number. So exciting stuff, investment into uh, a great program. And as Coach Valenzuela, you know, he talks about all the time, it's a recruiting, it's an arms race. You've got to have the facilities in order to train the best to be the best. And those three pieces of the puzzle will recruit the best and develop the best and allow them to play as the best athletes uh, in the Big West Conference, West Coast and nationally. So super excited. Folks will see more details on that. But again, thank you to Marilyn Ball for, for making dreams come true. That's for sure. Well, it's also an improvement to the city and the community of baseball players here in the city, Andy. And that's, that's very important. We think it's just the coolest thing ever that high school baseball players get to play at Bold Diamond at Blair Field. And to do it with all the improvements that you and Marilyn Bull and everybody have put into it recently just makes it that much cooler. So congratulations. We are very excited to see Bold Diamond at Blair Field continue to get its facelift. It really deserves it. We have to move on to softball. 
and we got to talk about the sweep of Fullerton. I know we did this just a few weeks ago, but it's got to be one of the highlights of the year, right, Andy? To have your rival come into your building with no conference losses, and then you hand them their three conference losses necessary to, let's, let's call it what it is, steal that conference title. It was absolutely incredible to be out there at the Long Beach Softball Complex and see that happen in front of a small but boisterous crowd led by alumni exactly the way you would want it to be. You've got to be thrilled with how well the softball team played. Again, with limited practice and a bunch of problems that started with a pause at the beginning of the season. Amazing. And I think in my head as I was watching that that the final weekend, it's like the music from The Natural was just playing in the back of my mind because it, it was like something out of a movie that you would write a story like that, right? That you have to sweep. Um, you know, Fulton only has to win one game. You go, what are the odds? Amazing. Again, the challenges, the hurdles, the obstacles, never complained. Um, Coach Souter, what an amazing job that she did. Kelly White, what a weekend to, to close, you know, her, her you know, regular season career. Um, you know, I could go down the list of, of the, you know, a team effort, you know, up and down the lineup um, is something amazing. And what they did, if you, if you told me, you know, I don't know what the odds would have been. Again, I'm the eternal optimist. So I was saying, yeah, we're going to sweep. But, you know, Fullerton, they are a good program. They, I mean, there's a reason they were undefeated coming into that final weekend. So to go on to, to make regionals, uh, you know, first regular season championship since 2014. Awesome. And looking ahead. Same thing that we were talking about, you know, the dirt bags and women's golf and men's golf and volleyball, a lot of optimism that next year we're in the hunt again for a big West championship and a postseason appearance. So, you know, can't say enough about Kim Souter, her athletes and coaching staff. Absolutely amazing. I like this idea of, of writing a movie about that. I'm, I'm thinking something like love of the game where it's them playing the game, but then you have like flashbacks, you know, parallel storylines, right? Maybe you call it the whiteout. And it's just like love it. Kelly's white's head. I, I'm going to get to work on that, Andy. All right, cool. Um, I just got a summer project. <laughs> last but certainly not least, we have to shout out the track and field program, indoor, outdoor, everybody doing their thing out there, able to compete in the Big West. That was awesome. But big shouts to Jason Smith and junior Aaron Booth both going to NCAA championships in Eugene, not this weekend, but next weekend. Booth qualified in the decathlon, the first time anybody from Long Beach State has done that since 2014. And Smith qualified in both the high jump and the long jump. He's the Big West Men's Field Athlete of the Year for good reason. He was able to set a new school record in the long jump that was set just back in 2019 by Kamani Briggs. That's 26 feet one and three quarters that's crazy he also cleared seven feet two and a quarter in his third attempt for an eighth place finish in the high jump so he's going to go to the championships in both of those events just so great to see somebody as elite as a guy like jason smith get a chance to do something that maybe a lot of people thought he wasn't going to be able to do this it, year it, that means first of all it means he could high jump over shack so everyone should keep that in mind that's, how, that's, <laughs> that's a good how way of looking at it that's Mike. how high he's jumping um, I just wanted to give two quick notes about this. First, you know, congrats to Aaron, absolutely. But but for Jason Smith in particular, um, this is a dude who is literally like on the field for the <laughs> NCAA's um, when the COVID shutdown happened. 
Um, and, you know, we talked to our friend Kirby Lee, who's a, a world-renowned track and field photographer. He got some photos of Jason right after that news came down that if, if you care anything about sports, it's as heartbreaking as it could be to reach that point and then at that exact moment have everything uh, shut down. He is qualified for the NCAA uh, outdoor championships, the real sort of quote unquote real track and field championships, a much bigger deal in these two same events that he had qualified for the indoor finals that were shut down. Um, and on top of that, he's going to get to go and help open up this new facility at Eugene, um, which I, this is like making the NCAA tournament in basketball and getting to play in Madison Square Garden. I mean, this facility was built to be an Olympic facility to host the USA track and field team. And uh, we have a couple of friends who've been there who've sent us videos. It's unbelievable. He's in for the experience of a lifetime and maybe the single best story about the value of sticking with it through all this COVID stuff, hanging on to your athletic career and making it pay off for you. So really, really proud of, uh, of Jason uh, as well as Aaron, but incredible story uh, there as, we, as they look to close up a very unique year that we've just looked back on in the history of Long Beach State. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fitting close to the year you know the last athletes standing for for the beach with with Aaron and Jason and like you said um you you look a year year ago and probably near the depths of how we all felt especially Jason as you said I mean there's one picture he's on the field I mean I you just go come on man um what what is what does that mean where where do you go from there and for him to now be a year later um, looking um, at the possibility of, of competing for and winning a national championship. Aaron Booth, same situation to be competing for a national championship at a facility, like you just said, Mike. I'm sure a year ago that would have seemed like a different planet. And yet here we are. So congratulations to Andy Scythe and, and all the coaches, uh, those two student athletes and all the other track and field student athletes who competed this spring and had tons of personal records and individual championships, a successful year nonetheless. Uh, amazing, amazing. We just hit on all of the teams that were able to compete in this 2020-2021 year. And obviously throughout that, we had all the coverage at the562.org with the newsletters, the videos, the previews, recaps, photos, Twitter updates, and interaction for you LB Nation to be able to follow all of your favorite teams at the beach. Now, every episode we do our big shouts. I feel like all three of us can agree. I think the big shout for the final episode just needs to go to everybody who is working in the medical field, specifically the people who worked in the medical field on campus. How many tests you guys had on that campus for COVID-19? I don't even want to begin to count, Andy. So big shouts once and finally for all, hopefully. To everybody on campus, from the uh, student health organizations to, you know, Jane Connolly, everybody who helped make sure that it was as safe as possible to get these student athletes back on the field. Do you agree, Andy? Should that be the belt last big shout? 100%. 100%. Thank you to all those folks. Couldn't have done it without you. This was uh, this is our last episode that we're looking back on the year. That means that we're wrapping it up. Uh, we, we have already come to uh, an agreement in principle with uh, with Andy that we'll be back for another season of the LBP show next year. Um, I think we're also hoping to put together maybe a special Olympics episode, uh, you know, mid to late July as we start getting ready for 
Tokyo, if it happens, there yeah, is fingers crossed on that, buddy. There in the sports world, uh, I was texting with uh, TJ DeFalco and Kyle Ensing recently. They're sure hoping that the men's volleyball team for the USA gets a chance to compete in Tokyo. Um, but thank you so much to everyone for following along with us this year. Very unique year, difficult year to cover sports, difficult year to work as an administrator in sports, difficult year to do anything anywhere. Um, but I think this, uh, I, I'm real pleased with how this podcast holds up as a record of the uncertainty and the optimism and the pessimism and the highs and lows of this last year. Um, and uh, sincerely, Andy, thank you for being an athletic director, willing to kind of share that emotional side of things um, with the fans of Long Beach State. I think it's really great that you're willing to do that. And we're obviously very pleased that uh, we've been able to be here to help you do so. So thanks to you. Thanks to Roger Kirk, producer extraordinaire of the LB Fee Show. And uh, everyone have a happy and safe summer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, soak up, soak up that summer, LB Nation. Soak it all the way up. I'll see you down at Horny Corner. <laughs> Wishing you a very normal fall. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>